Hello, welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers Podcast. This is the official podcast of the Sheffield Board Games Club. My name's Rick, this is episode 32. I'm joined today by Samuel. Hello, Hello. Samuel. Hello. Hi there, hi. And I'm also joined by Tom as well, Tom Lovell. Hi, Tom. Hi, guys. We're, uh, we're going to talk about some of the games that we've played recently. We have a question of the week, which is, how do you decide which games uh, will be leaving your collection, if you decide that at all, which we'll discuss shortly. <laughs> but the, the, the reason that we're asking that question is that we've had another um, bring and buy sale at the club. So we have a, a, a bring and buy every couple of months or so, where people can bring down the games and sell any that they don't want, or you can go down with some money and pick up a bargain. So we, we were quite busy last uh, last week when we had that. There were quite a lot of people there because uh, we also play games as well on that night as well. So we put a couple of tables together uh, for the for the games that are for sale. And then there's also people kind of playing in the room as well around the games. So it was quite busy. Um, yeah, we, um, we had quite a few new faces who popped in to say hello. A few returning faces that um, that I've seen before are starting to come back, so that's good news as well. Uh, and in fact, I think, Samuel, you kind of split the table, didn't you, and put kind yeah. of played games in between we, them, which is quite funny. <laughs> yeah, we didn't sort of play in the middle of the brig and buy because there, there weren't any other tables, all the tables were taken. We're in so our we room, sort of yeah. balanced a board across two <laughs> tables. It was sort of, so that you still got a lot of the tables to put the games on, but most of the board was just above thin air. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked fine, we didn't have any problems. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it works okay. So are you skilled at levitating then, Samuel? No, it was the, the edges of it were balanced on two different tables, but the, the bit down the middle was above the, the gap in the tables. <laughs> right. But it was solid enough. I mean, we weren't playing a very very uh, heavy, as in physically heavy game, so it was okay. Yeah, if, if you'd have put Gloomhaven on there, it probably would have upended, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was yeah. good. We uh, Yeah, we played lots of games. We... Uh, oh, one thing I wanted to talk about as well is uh, I mentioned on Kickstarter a few months ago about Isle of Cats. Uh, there was another Kickstarter that included some of the expansions, and yeah. that has arrived now. That's, ter- that's, that's come out. I actually purchased mine from retail from a shop, so I didn't actually get it from Kickstarter. It was just uh, it just come out to retail as well. So I managed to pick up a couple of expansions for Isle of Cats, which is um, a, a game interesting. Like we really enjoy that one, so that was pretty cool. Saved a bit of money on shipping as well because um, shipping seems to be going going up quite a lot these days on quick mm. Kickstarter, especially. So I feel I feel a bit sorry for some of the um, uh, some of the games that are funded already because obviously they have to they're in production at the moment and they'll have to pay for the shipping even though they've taken the money off people, which must be quite difficult. I did see. Uh, it is. I did see a, a pack of playing cards. There were some uh, Lord of the Rings playing cards um, that were really nicely designed. They were fantastic looking, really nicely graphically designed, like a collector's item. Uh, they were on sale for twelve dollars, so that's that's really good. That's fine. So I went on to Kickstarter, had a look at the shipping, and the shipping was seventeen dollars. So it would have been twenty nine dollars in total for a pack of cards. So I kind of backed away from that one, but yeah. Yeah, it just goes to show the massive increases that are yeah. coming along at the moment. Yes, well, I'm imminently got Swatch, which I backed last year, and I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating it turning up. Mm. Um, uh, but, yeah, they really struggled with that. Mm. Um, so, uh, yes, Minerva Games, because they successfully funded, had got everything um, sorted out, and then you had all of the shipping problems and everything else um mm. and also affecting not only their shipping but also then started to affect manufacturing and everything they've gone through the ringer on this but it, they've managed to get it funded they managed to get it completed yeah everything i'm hoping should be arriving imminently but it has been difficult for people yeah, yeah and hopefully no um and i also hope to be um talking in a future episode about um magnate which also turned up last end of last year but i've not managed to play more than the starting game of it and um yeah look forward to that they struggled yeah. too yeah it, it, it's it's mm. lovely you know in terms of a box it's gorgeous but james naylor the designer and owner of naylor games he sent out an email saying look i am going to get it to you but when we funded tail end of 2019 pre-pandemic we didn't expect any of this and a year later they really just had to go look we're struggling all our profit plus some extra has gone for shipping and it's yeah. really 
nailed everybody. I'm hoping that things should get a bit more predictable for those putting out new um, crowdfunding campaigns. It, it must be difficult to kind of forecast that because it's some of these, you know, some of the bigger games, like a, a, a small card game will probably be produced quite quickly, but some of the bigger games, it might take a year, it might take two years to produce it. So you've got to take that into account. So, yeah, it must be hard. Well, well exactly. That was the case, I mm. think. Um, I, was, I was watching the updates from Magnate and he was being very, James was being very sensible. He was saying, like, this is the prototype and uh, making sure that everything was tippy-top, mm. that the product you got wasn't just slapdash, it, it was mint. And and so in that respect, you knew it was going through all the right processes. Yeah. And as you went through 2020, going, well, it's okay because people are still working on it, it's pandemic, but it's getting mm. there. And then you had towards the tail end of 2020, um, early 2021, we're finding out how supply and the sh- all of the shipping was going up, and then you had well, actually, shipping's not double, not just doubled now; it's quadrupled. And instead of being a grand, it's then suddenly eight grand for a shipping container. And so, yeah, bless him, James. Just went if you could help, that would be appreciated. Yeah. Um, but he's still fulfilled to everybody. So. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's so impressive that he's done that. So yeah, good for him. So. Uh, Onto the games that we've played then recently. So at the club, I've played quite a lot of cooperative games recently. Um, I actually played one the other day, which I've not mentioned on this uh, on this list on this podcast. That's Ca- uh, Shadows of Camelot. That's another cooperative game that I've played. But uh, I've played. Ooh, I, we played that too. Brilliant. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, is. it was good. I enjoyed it. But the the ones that I, the other ones that I've played is uh, one called Atlantis Rising. I played Alien, Fate of the Nostromo, Horrified, and the Captain is Dead. Uh, so the reason that I'm kind of lumping all these together is they're all they all work in a very similar way. They're all very similar games uh, in some respect. Uh, in each of them, you get a number of action points that can let you do certain things. So it'll let you move around the board or pick up an item or drop an item or do a certain action. And then once once you've done all your actions, usually something bad will happen. So you'll flip over a card or a token or something like that and something something bad will happen. So the first one, Atlantis Rising, this is themed around the island of Atlantis, which is actually sinking, not rising. And you're trying to play together to get to build a portal. So this portal will take you off the island before it sinks completely. And in this one, it's like a deck of cards that you flip over and then pieces of the, of the island sink. So you're trying to get the resources, convert them into other resources, build the portal, and then leave the island before before it disappears. Alien Fate of the Nostromo, this is based on the film, uh, the first one, 1979, and it's the uh, the game version of the movie, so basically the alien is wandering around the spaceship, you're trying to complete a secret objective, so there'll be certain objective cards that you have to complete, and then there'll be a secret one at the end. So in this game, there's a few different objectives that you can do. In one, you might have to try and blow the alien out of the airlock. There's another one where you have to blow up the Nostromo, set the self-destruct, there's a few others as well. And you're basically working together to try and get these objectives done. Horrified is a very similar sort of theme. You're moving around a map, and the this is the one with the universal monsters. So you've got like Frankenstein's monster and the bride. You've got a creature from the Black Lagoon, things like that. And they're all chasing you, and you have to pick up items, drop them off at certain locations, protect the people of the uh, of the village, and again co- playing cooperative to, to cooperatively to try and get all this done. And then the final one, the captain is dead. This is based on a spaceship, so unfortunately the captain is dead. Uh, clues in the title. <laughs> so this is kind of like a Star Trek retro kind of sixties style uh, theme where your spaceship is being attacked by aliens and you're starting off with all of the ship intact so everything works you've got like a transporter beam you've got a sick bear where you can heal yourself but as the aliens come in and attack they'll destroy parts of the ship they'll start boarding your ship so you have to go around and clear them out and things like that so uh, again working together trying to trying to beat them all so all, all these games are very very similar uh, gameplay-wise, in that you do your actions, you work together, and then you complete missions or you complete your objective. Um, so uh, I, I enjoyed them all; they were all really good. Uh, I think the most beautiful one is probably Atlantis Rising. Uh, this is the second edition that I played. There is the first edition that I've not I've not seen, but the second edition is really beautiful artwork. It's got like big thick board tiles that that you flip over as the island sinks. 
the resources that you pick up are really nice. It's got like little gems and little ingots that you have to you have to pick up. So it's really beautiful production. It's really nice that one. Um, yeah. Alien and horrified are pretty much. Atlantis rising. Yeah, those look quite nice. Yeah, yeah, it looks Star-shaped beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's really colourful. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alien and horrified are based on the properties that they're based on. So uh, they were pretty good as well. They've, I think the theme helps them both out uh, in their own ways. In the horrified one, you've got a couple of different monsters that you can put in depending on how how hard you want the game to be. So if you want it kind of medium level, you have two or three monsters. If you want it harder, you put in an extra monster. So that's quite cool. Uh, the alien one, you uh, get different scenarios, so you don't exactly know what you're going to be doing until right at the end of the game um, because of this secret hidden objective that's right at the end. So that gives you quite a lot of play- replayability, which is which is quite good. Uh, and then the captain is dead, the final one. This one uh, is a Star Trek one. This is kind of based on a spaceship. Um, this one is kind of a retro uh, 60s style Star Trek style look about it but each of the all the figures and all the uh, characters that you play they're all like standees but they're like the acrylic plastic that have been screen printed so they're not cardboard they're like clear plastic with the uh, with the images on all, all the different crew members and things uh, so that was quite good as well. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, this, this style is very distinct, so it might not be, yeah. all, you know, in some ways beautiful, but actually if you like that style, it really works, I thought. Yeah, it's got that kind of, yeah, it looks like Star Trek, like the original series kind of thing, with like a retro kind of feel about mm-hmm. it. It's really cool. Uh, again, this is nice nice production, this one. This is a good, uh, good components and everything. Uh, the only downside with The Captain is Dead, I thought, was the cards were quite wordy. Uh, a lot of the other games just have icons on the cards and they're pretty easy to read even across, you know, if you sat across a table from somebody else. But the captain is dead. A lot of the cards had a lot of instructions on them and like stuff that you have to do and you have to read. So you're kind of peering over the table to try and read it. But that's the only downside of that one. Um, I liked the one thing with the captain is dead, though, that it's got a difficulty level. So if you've never played it before, you sort of start at, um, a di- you know, instead of being full on red alert, I think it was yellow alert or... Yeah. somewhere lower down this so but, you can get the hang of it and then go right now we think we know what we're supposed to try and do let's raise the alert level yeah and really yeah. give ourselves something to punish ourselves with yeah they, they all do a similar thing um atlantis rising you can put more flood tiles in um alien you can have ash who's the android you can have him wandering <laughs> around and he picks up scrap and stuff yeah. and messes I, I, with I was about hands. to say is this where you do you is it a case of it's always Ash is the android, or do you have someone who is a bit like Shadows over Camelot? Because that's slightly different. You're trying to achieve an objective, but you have got the hidden crater yeah. in Shadows over Camelot. Does, it, is that the same for no? I, w- I wish it was. That would have been really cool. But no, that Ash is like controlled by the cards. So well, when that, you flip a card over, yeah, it's just like wanders around and does his own thing. So yeah, maybe a future expansion. It would have been cool, uh, and, and extra characters from the other films as well they could put in. That would be cool yeah. as well. Well, there's expansion content there. Yeah, yeah, Definitely. always good. Yeah, yeah. David rocks up. I think my favourite one is probably Atlantis Rising. I really enjoyed that one. That was a good, uh, a, a good solid game that we played. Quite, quite a lot to do. Quite a lot of teamwork that you need to to solve it, and like I say, quite a lot of replayability. The Alien and the Horrified ones are good as well. They're slightly simpler, more kind of starter level, but uh, good replayability and, again, really enjoyable. I think you can probably pick whichever your favourite is based on the theme of those. Uh, and then The Captain is Dead. If you prefer a more sci-fi uh, kind of theme, then go for that one. But, again, any, any one of these are all pretty good, and I've played them any time. So that's the cooperative games that I've been playing this month. Well, my wife likes cooperative games but is not a huge fan of star trek mm. so i think i'll have to leave playing the captain is dead with um my friend who's actually got it rather than mm. pick it up because yes that will <laughs> be left on the shelf um because yes she's not a star trek fan at all so that's the games um samuel what have you been what have you been up to i uh, what have i been up to well i have i'll start actually with a not a board game but i went down to I had a holiday um, mm. over Easter, and on the way back, mm. we, went, we went to South Wales, and on the way back, I stopped off in a little place called Newent, um, in which there is the Museum of Board Games, which oh, is wow. a small one-room museum of board games, which is... very nice, because Tony Bodile, who runs it, also goes to the Gloucestershire Tabletop Game Community. How does it? that I attend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should have said, Samuel, you've just been yes. on the road from where I am. 
I, I hadn't realised. <laughs> I'll, remember, I'll remember next time. I'd, yeah, I'd about that. Anyway, have a cup of tea. Oh, well. <laughs> um, if I'm down there again, I'll have a look. But yes, yeah, so I, I met uh, Tony Bordell, had a good long chat with him. About he's, a, he's a lovely chap. He is, he's very nice, actually. I won't let him listen to this podcast, though, in case he hears me say that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was quite a nice afternoon, um, looking at all of his, his collection of a variety of old board games. Which has about you know games that he likes and about how he how he got to where he got to in terms of designing and things. That one's a useful point as I think about designing board games. So is it is it just like open to the public then? Can you just yeah, is it like open all the time? You could just turn up. Yeah. All oh, right. Yeah. So essentially, it's sort of Tony Boydell's collection of all the all the ga- all the old games he's got off eBay and wherever. Yeah. Um, but it's quite interesting. There's quite a few train games as you might expect from Tony Boydell. Mm. Uh, but there's quite a lot of other games and things as well. There's got a little. There's a few things you can buy. So I bought um, a couple of things. All right. Including mm-hmm. one get. Well, he made a series of three little sort of matchbox games, which had matches as the main components um, that were only available there. So I bought one of them called Formula Ovine, which is <laughs> a sheep racing game with um, <laughs> Formula One and sheep puns. So things like Jensen Mutton. <laughs> Lewis Brambleton, uh, Alan Prost, things like that. And you, you're blind bidding matches to try and move your sheep. Um, so that's quite a nice little. Works well as a sort of a starter game at a Sunday session, so we played that mm. the last Sunday session. Um, but something else I picked up there, which isn't a turn your Bordell game, uh, it's a game called Hare and Tortoise, which is also a racing game. It looks a bit like a roller because you're going around this board, but actually there's no rolling at all, you just have carrot cards. And basically, you can move as far as you want, as long as you can afford to spend the requisite amount of carrot cards. So if you move one space, that costs one carrot. If you move two spaces, that costs three carrots. And if you move three spaces, it's six carrots, four spaces, ten carrots, and so on. So if you're moving 20 spaces, it's closer to 200 carrots or something. (laughs) Um, So if you've got millions of carrots, you can move all the way to the end. But but you can't just do that, because you also start with the game with three lettuces, and you've got to get rid of those before you can finish the game as well. Mm. And... When you do finish, you've got to have fewer than a certain amount of carrots left as well. So if you want to finish first, so the person who would finish first has to have ten or fewer carrots left. So it's not just about necessarily getting to the end quickly, but also not having too many carrots. Mm. Um, but then there are various ways of gaining and losing carrots, most of which are sort of predetermined. Um, it depends on you know, it's the different spots on the board. On your turn, you pay a certain amount of carrots and move forward the relevant number of spaces. And then, depending on what space you land on, things will happen. So, certain spaces allow you to get, you know, take a turn to get rid of lettuce and then gain some carrots. Um, certain spaces might give you some carrots if, at the beginning of your next turn, you're in the position that the the space says. If you have a space with a three, if by your next turn you're in third, then you'll gain some carrots. So, 30 carrots in this case, multiply your position by 10. Um, there are. Sam. Yep. I was going to say, is this the Heron Tortoise that was the inaugural Spiel de Yaris winner? It might be, yes. I've got a newer version, I oh. think. There's some very nice... Gra- with sort of <laughs> yes, it's all the way back from when it first started. <laughs> Looks like there's quite a few yeah, quite a few different versions of it available. But it's quite fun because, of course, what happens is almost entirely down to what the players decide to do rather than necessarily you know, how the game works or the rules or... You know, it's very much decided by the players' actions rather than by mm. the game systems or the the board layout or what or the you know deck of cards. There are some little cards you can get on certain squares that have a little bit of randomness, but other than that, it's sort of you just have to you know it's it'll change depending on who does what. Plays two to six as well, so there's a bit of variety there. Oh, that's good. Um, so imagine with six, it'd be quite interesting because you're not allowed to land on any other players either. So you can, you'll, that'll restrict how many squares you can potentially move. Mm. So I've, I've played it a few times with my mum and dad, and it's never been the, never been the same. Each game's played out a bit differently. Mm. Tom, what have you been playing? Right, well, 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 we'll use your introduction to Tony Boydell. So since a few years ago when I left Sheffield, I not rejoined um, a games club, mainly due to COVID, whereas a couple of months ago, I went to started going to the Gloucestershire tabletop gaming community based in Tuffley and as well as Tony Boydell being a lovely gent, there's also several other lovely people who join in. 
and as it transpires, um, Tom is a very popular name again. So um, as the podcast <laughs> knows, there's normally a difficulty telling the difference between me and Tom Cauldron. Mm. Well, there's now three Toms as well. So yes, we get referred to by a variety of different names. <laughs> yes, it's not just in the Borges, actually. My, my drama group's onto its fourth Tom now. <laughs> wow. Over, over. It's they're, just they're because not all, They're not we're... all there at the same time, but we've, we seem to be getting quite a few Toms. Yeah. Well, Tom is an insert adjective of choice here name, is all I could probably best say. Well, anyway, digressing a smidgen, one of the games that Tony Boydale showed me how to play was Power Grid. There was only the three of us playing, and he did say, like, oh, it's not so good with three people. And I was like, well, let's give it a go. I've never played it before. I'd love to learn. I've heard good things about it. And, and it's a great game where you're in the United States of America, and you're trying to have, as I seem to recall, I think it's 15 cities under your control, um, you know, that you supply power to, but you also get points through other means, and you've got set resources, so you've got coal or oil um, or rubbish to power your power stations. They've all got different amount that you need um, to generate power. You've also got to pay to have access to different cities to be able to power them, so it's juggling several different things at a time. Make If you get power to a city, then you get get money. If you've got the money, then you can buy a new power station, but you can only have a maximum of three power stations, and then you need to have, the, have money to buy the resources you need to actually burn in the power station, unless, of course, you're a bit of a hippie, which <laughs> Ben isn't a hippie, but he definitely liked his eco-friendly wind farms and solar panel doodads. Mm and things which you didn't need the resources but couldn't power as many things and um, there's a methodology for bidding and when you you've just got to sort of get your timing right and also know how much mm. to challenge someone to bid so it's a very tight game which I think if I'd actually played before it would have been tighter because I, I backed out of bidding right at a key point but it was a really nice structure of you had this very close-knit area where you started filling in areas and then branching out to where other people have got some cities to make it difficult for them um, because you've got to pay a certain amount to have a house on a city but how mm. far away they are from something else that connection you've also got to pay extra for so you can go a long distance but you've got to pay for different pipes so is that worth doing early to get into a different state for example um, or is it worth just actually, uh, I say state, several states sort of it's split into about five regions. So unless there are five states in the United States of America, I suspect they're more regional than that. Hmm. Um, but anyway, you can kind of go, well, I'll stick close together, play a small amount of pipe and build a, a house in this new city to supply power to. And um, it's, it is really easy to learn. And I'm pretty sure that if I play it a second time now, I'm not going to be asking questions every three minutes um, and just and, and understand the mechanics of how it gets going. The other part is your power stations start off cheap, but don't supply as much power yeah. as they get. As you move on, your power stations are more expensive, but they also power more cities. And so therefore it's learning when to get rid of something, when to keep it, when to make sure you've hoarded resources because if someone will get resources cheaply, so you want to get cheaper resources to make it harder for someone else, and they've got to pay more money for the resources, but then you're juggling, well, can I have enough money to buy access to new cities? So it's, it really is a money juggling. Yeah, I, play, I played it a couple of times. Uh, I think we might have played a different map, because when we played, uh, we played the full map, but there was a bit of confusion because some of the sections were, were blocked off uh, it might have been the Germany one, perhaps. Um, right. So we ended up like putting a piece of paper on there just to remind people that, oh, you can't go in this direction. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the... Uh, there's like a track at the top, isn't there, where there's a different kind of resources that you need for your uh, power mm. stations, like oil and nuclear and rubbish oh, and yeah, things I've like that. Oh, have got nuclear. <laughs> and they can, uh, yeah, the, they're all valued depending on how in demand they are. So if people's buying loads oh, yeah. of one thing, yeah. it really shoots up in price and things. I've played it once quite a while ago, and again, that mm. was the Germany map. Um, so that mm. was the 24-hour board games marathon I did a few years ago. Um, 
completely unaware of the Germany map because there was only three of us. What what happened was we did block off. We used the fourth player's tokens to basically block off some of the areas, and so it's a case of it was very clear to see that you had these these um, houses just blocking off the area, and, and that worked really quite nicely. It was very much a case of having made an incursion into someone else. You know, we started off in our own nice little area, which maybe mm. if we were all closer to start off with, it would have been a little bit more cat and dog. So I think if there was a fourth, as Tony said, if there was a fourth person, you'd all be a little bit fighting for resources a bit yeah. much. Whereas because there was three, it was a little bit, well, I'll just build my little um, territory here and you can have your kingdom there and you yeah. can have your kingdom there. And maybe around the mid-game, we might just do a little sneaky incursion here. <laughs> but we didn't really fight each other for resources too much or for land. And it was only towards the end. And it, it was literally down to one or two mistakes, kind of in the early game, mid-game, where... That's really what happened because it just romped to the wind conditions. And it was a case of, yeah, it just made the mistakes in the mid-game, but it did become apparent. And there wasn't that fight where it could have been several decisions because we just weren't in each other's faces enough. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect that is the big issue. that it. Whereas there are some games that you go, well, with the maximum number of players, it works. And with maybe one less, it works. This one, it yeah, it feels like it really should be the four players. Yeah. So that you're right in each other's faces. It works. It's it's fine. It's nice. I enjoy playing the game with three, but I can really understand you want that in your face kind of. You're all fighting for the same yeah. kind of resources. I think actually that segues quite nicely into the next game I'm going to talk about, which also works better with more players, and that is Food Chain Magnet, which. I, I managed to pick up a copy of early this year. Somebody was sending it on the, one of the Facebook groups, and I thought, Ooh, I'll, I'll plump for that because it's been quite hard to get hold of. It's been out of print for ages, um, so I, I thought it's been sold for you know relatively reasonable price hmm. um, for food chain magnet anyway. Um, so I, I picked that up, um, having not played it, not you know, knowing about it, but not knowing an enormous amount about it. So it's a bit of a gamble, but actually I really like it. The idea is your each of you, each of the players is in is a, a food chain magnet is in charge of a, a fast food chain, um, and so um, your board is sort of made out of um, it's modular made out of tiles which look which do look rather plain, but actually that I think that helps it stops it getting too busy because obviously you'll be adding you know, things to the board as you go, mm-hmm. um, and the sort of design style is kind of reminiscent of sort of nineteen fifties America, yeah kind of thing with the they have done the art, which is quite nice actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fairly simple and minimalist, but very nice um, and clean kind of thing. It's played in a series of rounds, and each round you'll be deciding who, which of your staff members are going to work that round, which is essentially what actions you're going to do that round, and or what things you'll have active. Some, some, some staff members will have actions, some to, you know give you give you a discount or um, things like that, or passive mm. effects. Um, so everyone chooses those, and then once you've decided the turn order, um, and each player then does all their their actions. So you can hire new workers or train some workers, so they go. You know, there's a bit of a um, sort of a hierarchy of, of workers. Um, so you can train things to get into a high level to do better things, do more things. Um, you, you know, you'll be able to generate food and drink. You might be able to put down some more restaurants or some houses or add guards to current houses or things like that mm-hmm. um, and then you resolve the demand from the previous round so people that's when, we, when you get your money which is the, uh, the the goal of the game is to end up with the most money so getting money from selling your um, products to customers is important and then once you've done that and paid your staff then you do you then do the marketing for the next round um, or the market which you know you then market some goods for the following to be sold the following round um, and then you'll just clean up and then you'll repeat but it, again as with Power Grid the, the more players there are the more competition there'll be for spaces and for trying to you know building restaurants in, your lucrative, in lucrative spaces and things like that and trying to 
because when it comes to evaluating the, the demand, um, basically there's sort of a set of rules of this is how demand works. You know, the people will go to, you know, the people in this house want this amount of food and this, this, is, this is how they're going to evaluate, you know, whether they can get the food. So they'll look at, you know, maybe they want a pizza and a bottle of beer or something. <laughs> Firstly, they'll see what restaurants can, can give them that give them both of those, give them all of their order. And then if there's multiple restaurants thinking like that, they'll basically see which one is the best in terms of a combination of how far away it is and how cheap the how cheap their oh, yeah. produce is. So mm. basically the further away it is the cheaper it needs to be for them to be able to, to go there. So there's sort of there's quite a good quite a bit of how much do I need to cut our prices to you know, do you're undercutting each other to try and steal business off each other. But conversely, if you're uncontested, you can hike your prices up a lot as well and get a lot of money that way. It's very, again, it's very, very sort of player-led. So what happens in a game is entirely decided by what what people you hire early on. You know, where your restaurants are, what the board looks like, um, what you decide to place where, what the players decide to do. And so actually, the rulebook isn't huge. It basically just goes through how a round works. Mm. Um, it's almost like a a set of mechanics for how this economy works almost mm. and then it's up to you to work out how best to manipulate those and use it which is really quite fun it's really sandboxy which is something I quite like All right. it makes makes it very replayable in terms of the designer it's uh, Splotter Spellen who do make some very good games mm. um, sort of hardcore game designers so if you can get hold of it I'd, I highly recommend it it is a bit of a longer game and it is quite a, a heavy game yeah, um, but I, I was going to say it's over four on DGG, so it does look like it's it's, it's, it's very it's, heavy. But that's really just because it's it's not complex. It's just very thinky, trying to work out what's the best thing to do. Hmm. Once you've got the mm-hmm. hang of the rules, it's just sort of hiring some people. Um, you get little play raids, look like little menus, which is really cool. Um, have you know all the different things you can hire, and there's also milestones in the game. So you know, if you're the first to do certain things, you'll get a, a bit of a bonus the rest of the game. And some of those can be very useful, um, like give you a discount on wages and somewhere to store food. Because normally you'd have to just discard all the stuff you make at the end of a turn. And not be able to keep any of it, which is, mm. you can only, which is a bit of a problem. But yeah, it's just a really nice game. A bit thinky, a little bit long, so it's not <laughs> yeah. really long games. It's that's that's what I've heard. I've heard it's a bit of a, a bit of a beast. It's one of those. Uh, yeah, those heavier games. But there's there's not there's not too much downtime actually because various parts of the round kind of affect everybody like the you know resolving demand things like that. So you, you are relatively involved most of the time. Yeah, I think I think it depends on the game, doesn't it? If you sat there twiddling your thumbs for five minutes in between rounds, it makes it seem longer. I think. Yeah. Did you did you play it on a Sunday session this? Yeah, were you that playing it on Sunday? Took about three hours in the end with the four. I was going to say yeah, you, you, I saw I you playing it and it, yeah yeah everybody. So you know. But it, it, you, did, you didn't seem to be there. I was expecting you to be there until yeah, I thought I'd like late, but no, it went went quite fast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So was that three hours to learn and to play? Yeah, pretty much, which is pretty good actually. It's, I was thinking yeah. it more like five, mm. but mm. we seemed to get get through it pretty quickly actually. Uh, is it is it like a set number of rounds, or is it like until play, somebody hits well, you, a you play until amount? the bank runs out of money for the second time? So you start, right. start the game, you put some money in the bank, mm. and then you secretly decide on an amount of money to add to the bank when it runs out of money the first time, um, which is revealed once it's run out of money. And then yeah. when it runs out of money a second time, you finish. You go up to a certain point in the current round, and then stop and just see who's got the most money, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, you have an influence then on when it stops because yeah, you do a if, bit. Yeah, you can choose. If you much. think I'm in the lead, I won't put as much money into the bank. Yeah, well, you decide that though at the start of the game before you, you decide so you, that before you started how much you're going to put in. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you can't you can't use the in, in the lead. You can I don't know not quite sure what the criteria is really. Mine was more how long do I want the game to last. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, it's a bit difficult to know. Uh, there's a lot of replayability because, you know, just the layout of the board, who does what, that kind of thing can really change what happens. Hmm. And there's an expansion as well, the, the catch-up mechanism and other ideas, which haven't. <laughs> adds about 19 modules in or something that you can add. All oh, right, so yeah. I might try and look into that at some point. 
Yeah. Oh, sorry, are you saying ketchup has got 19 bits to it? I don't know. It adds, well, it adds ketchup. <laughs> it, adds, it adds various different little modules in, I believe, one of which is ketchup, I think. Okay. <laughs> I haven't done a lot of research into it, but uh, yeah. I think one final thing to say, unlike a lot of games, it, it, uh, it's very good with this box space. Everything just fits in. It crams. There's no unused space in the box at all. <laughs> not that you can't it, be said to be a box that's full of air. What, what size box is it? Is it like a ticket to ride box or is it uh, bigger or smaller? It's a rectangular one, sort of an NA4 rectangle one that's not very, oh, right. not very deep. Oh, so yeah. fairly compact. It's relatively compact for the air. There's no yeah. spare space in the box at all. <laughs> so. So, so basically, it is a fairly heavy game and quite dense in terms of box. Yeah, but it's. If you get a chance to play it, I'd recommend trying it because it is really, it's really, really nice. Very, very open. Um, I'm glad I bought it. Because mm-hmm. really. I, I haven't played any splotter games. They're quite rare at the club, I think, just because of they are. Yeah. It's because of the length seen, and because I've of the weight of them. two available in the board games club and haven't been able to get yeah. them all. But I know I've got a, f- a friend who does go to the club who's got bus as mm. well, I think. Oh, yeah. Wait, it's in Barbwe, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, so hopefully I'll play those at some point. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, it's food chain magnet. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll keep on the theme then of heavy games. Um, I think, so I played a few weeks back Kanban, mm-hmm. which is about making um, cars. And it is probably one of the crunchiest games I've played. So I, I enjoyed the crunchiness. I just kind of thought, hmm, maybe on a Tuesday evening after a fairly hefty day at school wasn't the best plan. But... Yes, it, it, we started learning to play shortly after 7 and we finished shortly before 11. So it was practically all of us first time playing, so bear mm. that in. But it is, it's pretty intense. So if, if you do like your lightweight games and not really keen on thinking, because it's like, it sounds like with Food Chain Magnate, plenty to think about. You can score in so many different ways. Whilst the general principles once you played about two or three rounds you kind of knew what you were doing but you still had to keep your wits about you as to the so many different ways of scoring Mm -hmm. and so the the principle is you work in a um, car factory there are different areas of the factory that you need to work through and you can do different things in different parts but you've got a certain amount of time that you can spend in each area so you've got the two action space or the three action space um, so when you activate in a round it's very important because it depends on where you can move to you can only move to empty spaces and so um, where you move to can affect other people and also yourself and also there is the supervisor and you can either play with the nice supervisor or the mean supervisor. And if the mean supervisor rocks up and you haven't achieved things, you will be penalised. So you've got to be aware of trying to get points, try to be in the place where you can do the most things and not be affected by someone. Um, there's mid-game scoring and end-game scoring, and you need to... Want, and. Um, earning seats to have seats in the boardroom to get things like that. So I'd love to talk about all the different components, but I think we'd need a brand, not quite a new podcast, but <laughs> it, it would just take a while. But in, in principle, the five different areas you've got, are you have got a um, design studio where you've got designs for cars, but also they've got um, the designs for each different component. You have got the resource area where you can collect the different components. So the components you've got, you've got um, the chassis, you've got suspension, you've got turbo, you've got the gearbox, you've got the engine, and you've got, I think it's the brakes. I can't. Um, and so trying to get a combination of those different things is important. Um and trying to get the upgrades, get you points, you can own, and then you've got the um, actually making the car plant, but you can only make a car if you've got 
um, a part, but you've got to play a part if that car's been upgraded. And so you've got the testing track where you put the upgrades on, and once the cars have been made, they move down a conveyor belt to the testing track, and you can take cars off the testing track and put them in the garage, but you've got to have a design from your design studio. But there's so <laughs> many different things going on hmm. that keeping track of everything takes a while. Once you've got there, hmm. it's all gravy. But beforehand, you're just going, right, what am I doing? And you've got to think about what you're doing, what your other players are doing, because if you think, right, I'm going to go first, and they're on this place, so where can I move to? So you've got to try and plan ahead, and also try not to get caught if you're playing against the mean supervisor with her. But also make sure you've got enough seats so that when you get to the boardroom at the end of the working day, and the end of the working day is the supervisor moves through in order the different areas but she won't stop in an area if it's full with people so you can manipulate things if you think right well if i'm going to this area and someone else does then the supervisor will skip this area so we'll get to the end of the working mm. day sooner and so i can get to some point scoring bits possibly you're also trying to score points by showing that you are well trained so in each area you can get to training and go up to a set point where you're considered competent and um, <laughs> and here's the other bit so the, each five areas plus the boardroom you're trying to prove your competency you get benefits by getting to the top of the tree but you score more points if at the f full end of the game you've got to the top but you got to the top more recently because whilst you've all had the same training yours is the most recent training so for example um, if Samuel got to the top of the design area first He'd get the first benefit, but then, Rick, if you came there after him, you'd put your piece on the top, and so mm. you'd score five points, and Samuel would score three. So you wouldn't get the immediate benefit that Samuel did, but you'd score more points. Right, yeah, and yeah. so trying to get your timing as to when to get that last step of training is important. You don't have to get to the top of the rung either. You just have to be highest most recently to get those five points. There's so many different bits of scoring points, getting boardroom seats and everything, it, in that respect, it's really nice. But you do feel like you've gone for a mental workout having yeah. played mm. Yeah, it sounds just, like it, yeah. Yeah, just that sounds very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it is a bit, and, and as I said, it took us about an hour to learn the basics. Okay. And then I think we played, the first few rounds took us the next hour but then we really started pummeling into it. It, it, mm -hmm. it. It's very much like a distance race where you've got to make sure you do your preparation and then you go slowly and steadily. But once you get into your rhythm, actually, you can play at a good pace. You know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're looking at what everyone else is doing. And so it, it did start to motor once you really got into it. And I think if we were, you know, the four of us that played, if we were to play it again, I don't think it would take us four hours this time. Mm. I think it's very much that this is the first time. There's a lot going on. We're all thinking about, we're trying to work out how you score now, how we score at the end of the day and how we score at the end of the game and how to optimise all the different bits. What's the best way to stop being penalised by the mean supervisor? Um, and so therefore, I think we were very cautious, kind of, well, what happens here? Asking questions that first hour. And yeah, then, yeah. Um, the second hour of, of playing, it was like, right, we're doing this, boom, 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 we move, yeah. and we motored. But yeah, there are lots so of just, ideas. So just in out this. of interest, how, how, how many players were playing it? Um, there were four of us. We, we, we went right. full ball. But all, all of us were, you know, the maximum number of players. Yeah. Um, and, and it worked like that. I think it would still work well with three. Yeah. But because of... The fact that you want to um, have the different time spaces, I think it really does work well when you are filling up all those positions. So the worker placement part is really important, not mm. only for which part of the factory, but also at the bottom, there is a track where you move along dependent on how much training you've got. Mm. Um, and as you move on to the next section, you move further forward and you're going to affect when you activate and so that's really important so mm. i think if you've got less people you don't have that fight for who's going 
trying to go first or trying to go last sometimes and also to get all the different um, positions. So um, I, I do think, again, a bit like Power Grid, it really does benefit from having yeah. a full complement of bots. Yeah, you need those extra players for the competition yeah. and the, to yeah, fill everything up and that, yeah. Like Food Chain Magnet as well, that works at two, but if you've got more people, you've got a lot more competition, it's a lot more varied yeah. um, mm-hmm. in terms of the... It, it begins to sparkle and shine a bit more as to, yeah, this is really how it's supposed to go, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So I, th- I think you mentioned this was the original version because it was out of print for a while and it's been reprinted now. This was the, the original this one. Is it the driver, I think it's the driver's edition, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. the, they've got Kanban, um, e, Kanban EV is the new one with electric vehicles. Right. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the eco-friendly one, which um, which we'll all be moving towards um, shortly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Or, or, or do you say plug-and-play version? I don't know. <laughs> So uh, that's the games that we've played recently then. Uh, so we'll move on now to the question of the week. Uh, and the question of the week is, how do you decide what games to get rid of out of your collection? So uh, this isn't necessarily us saying, you know, um, you, you could all have a set number of games or you can't have too many games or too little games. It's entirely obviously up to each individual person and your own individual circumstances. Uh, and we can just talk about our own you know how 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 we do our own collections and things like that. So, some people don't want to get rid of games. They are collectors, me, I guess. <laughs> Which I think you mentioned, Tom. Um, yes, I'm a hoarder. I haven't sold any of the games that I've bought to play, even the crap ones. That's absolutely fine. We're not saying there's anything yeah. wrong with that. That's that if that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's good. Uh, because at least you'll have like a game for every occasion. Then, if you want like a superhero game or a you know, an economic game or a quick game, you've probably got access to those at your fingertips, which is which is pretty cool. Or uh, understanding family, I think, is kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah. There could be any number of reasons why you'd want to get rid of games. Um, maybe because of space considerations. Um, obviously, these are quite big boxes that take up quite a lot of room. Yeah. And it's storage is an issue. That's, um, often, that's often, the when I'm looking at the board game post, space is often one of the reasons that people say... Need some space, yeah. so clearing out some stuff because they've got more things coming in, so they've got limited yeah. storage space. Um, so I'm, I'm, well. I'm going, I'm spreading out up into the loft and also spreading out into the garage as well. I've got games in there now, so <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, that's yeah, that's that's probably my main consideration. But um, uh, another one would probably be if you like the game or not. So if you've played it a couple of times and you don't really get on with it. Um, or you, you know you find there's something irritating about the components or something like that. You might think, oh, oh somebody else might enjoy this better than me. Yeah. So in the case for me, it's a combination of um, space. Sort of it, it is sort of running out of space is kind of what prompts me to think. Right, I could do with getting rid of a few. Yeah. Because I'm running a bit short on space and I'm yeah, not yeah. fitting in now. And so I'll go right. Which which of these games am I not playing? Do I not really like having yeah. the table for ages? Um, you know, perhaps the way to think about it is, you know, if I di- if I didn't have this game, how much would I mind? And if you don't mind mm. too much, then you could probably get rid of it. Um, mm. so you- yeah, that that's probably one of the main considerations for me as well. Is like how how often I would get it played, and whether you know I would mind if it was gone, if it, if if it wasn't there anymore. Um, yeah. e- even even like games that are nostalgic, if I've played them before and I've in- I know I've enjoyed them. Uh, but they've been sat on the shelf for you know quite a while. Is it something that you know I'm going to play again yeah. soon? Or I mean, there are there are so, uh, one or two games that I've got that play for a while, but they're a bit more um, for a specific occasion or the you know I'll play yeah. at certain times. So I've got some like Flickem Up, which I've not played for a while, but that's mm-hmm. you know, that's to be in a certain mood or something like Pitch Car, for example, um, is one that I haven't played for ages, but I'm still going to keep it because I really like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got some games that I've not played, but then my son's getting older, and so there's more and more of the games that we've got that he might play. So part of the, I don't get rid of games because I'm a hoarder, whilst true, <laughs> I might also have someone who I can play with, turning, you know. Yeah. And that's another consideration as well. I, I might not have played it for a while, but I will do soon, or I'll, I'll try and go to the table soon so that I can yeah. play it again. 
is soon within a decade. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't, you don't have to answer this question, but I, do you know how many games you've got? Because I, I, I've, I've got my collection on BGG, and it gives you a total at the bottom of like a grand total of how many you own. Do you do, you do that? Uh, mine is on there, but it's massively out of date. <laughs> oh, is it right? <laughs> um, I think my total is um, somewhere around 120-ish. Right, okay. Which is about where I want to try and keep 100 to 120. Because yeah. if I've got too many, it's like Tom Cauldron's got about five, 600. That's <laughs> way too many to play. Things I can play that, you know, encompass, as you mentioned earlier, all sorts of different you know, situations, scenarios, game types, you know, sort of quicker, lighter games for certain groups, heavier, longer yeah. games for a Sunday session, or any, you know, anything in between, you know, travel games, um, things like that. So I've got a good, a good variety. Um, but they're all games that I will play and I know I'll get to the table, is, is kind of the idea. So, so what about you, Tom? Do you know roughly how many games, or do you know exactly, or do you keep um, count even? I, I, I'm far too lazy to keep count. <laughs> but let's, let's, you know, but do I have my board, my collection of board game? No, because that just takes time to put it in there. I'm a lazy mm. sod. <laughs> but I've got a little space which has got. Um, so we do have a space in the house we moved to, which we've called the, affectionately called the games room or the place where I can dump all my shit. Hmm. Um, either way. Um, <laughs> so there's there's one space which we've got all the small games, the, the card games, the little ones, and I would guess there is somewhere between 20 to 30 just little ones. So I've yeah. got Quirk, I've got um, Rice Dice, I've got um, Houses of Knowledge fit in there, I've, um, you know, and I've got a fair number of games from independent publishers, and they... Often they're quite small, so so I've got about twenty to thirty small games, and yeah. then we've got the collection of the bigger box games, and I'd say there's probably thirty-ish there, at a guess, um, and then you've probably got about ten-ish of my son's games, hmm. um, and that includes mine from when I was a kid. So we've got Ghost Castle and Hero Quest, as well as little silly things um, such as hmm. build a bug kind of plans and as I'm a miniature player I've got probably about the miniatures for 10 to 12 different games and they take up a fair amount of space and mate. Yeah, so, I think they're probably even worse because they're probably quite difficult to store as well <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know what she means. <laughs> Honest stuff. <laughs> and and the, and the thing is, it's um, for some games. I was going to say I've I've got four or five different factions for relics, which was the miniature game that helped um, develop when I was in Sheffield. Um, yeah. But then I've got generally one or two factions for things. But if I've got a game, it's just probably one faction. So when I say I've got ten to twelve. These are ten to twelve different miniatures games. Yeah. So an, a, another consideration that you, that you could think about as well is what, if you have games that do a similar sort of thing. So quite recently, I've got rid of a game called Star Realms, which is like a little two-player deck builder. Uh, and the reason that I sold that is that I've got other deck builders that you can play two-player as well that are probably just as good and just as quick and. Uh, I have actually got a couple of versions of Love Letter. I've got a couple of versions of Flux that I've still got that I've held on hold on to. But um, maybe if you've bought a, like a revised version of a game or a newer version of a game, or you know if you've got a game that does something very similarly, do, do you have any of those in your collection? Um, yeah, that is a, sort of a consideration I do try and have, and make, you know, not make sure of if I've got several games doing the same thing. I do actually want all of them. Hmm. Um, I mean, it, it can be nice to have a little bit of variety so that you're not, you know, you've got... Yeah. I mean, there are some things like, you know, I've probably got quite a few worker placement games or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then they, you know, that's as much as, you know, like a similar core mechanic, they can still be very different games. Yeah, um, yeah. A little bit similar with Star Arms. I haven't ever actually bought the physical edition of Star Arms because I've got it digitally and I've also got a physical edition of Hero Realms. So I never, uh, really, felt, I never really felt the need to. That's another thing as well, yeah, if you've got the digital version... Yeah. You might not feel compelled to keep the real, you know, the, yeah. the actual box I mean, version. I've, I've done that, or I'm doing that with Through the Ages, which I did recently rebuy. Because mm. I got it with the expansion. But actually, 
it's such a faff to play it takes flipping ages I'd <laughs> do it, I'd rather do the digital version because it does all the keep, keeping everything uh, for you yeah it's much quicker um, so I'm going to go try and sell it again I'm glad I brought it down to bring it by but nobody built it um, yeah I, I did that with Friday uh, Friday is like a solo yeah. single player game and I bought it on the app and since then I've never played the single player game so yeah. I just play it on the app and then because it's just a lot you know a lot smoother a lot easier yeah. it's so low so it doesn't matter you know that you don't miss like other players or anything like that there's no interaction yeah. or anything it is just purely just playing your a game on your own so I thought why well, have I got this when I've got the app so that that went as well yeah fair enough yeah um, yeah I find I've just got a bit better more recently um in curating the games that I want so pretty much in the last couple of years the new games to the house are the ones that are getting played and so it is probably mm. the older things so I know that on my shelf I've got um, Arkham Horror 2nd Edition and I really enjoyed playing it I'm pretty sure I'll really enjoy playing it again but at the moment it's staying there because I don't think we'll be able to play it as a family yet mm. and so just being able to tie up the time needed we'll just wait but I'm pretty sure um, in a few years time it will come out because mm. we'll be able to go right yes you're old enough now you can play this the three of us we can now have yeah yeah that's, that's a good thing about them I guess you you, you know if you if you want to hang on to it you've got it on your shelf it's there you can pull it down whenever you want to it, it might not be you know in the immediate future but at some point it's there and you know that you know you can yeah. you are going to play it at some point yeah, yeah. Sort of, like, yeah. like what I was saying with flick em up I've sort of got it I'm sure I'll play it again at some point so it's you know it's good to have it there and I've got an expansion for it as well so yeah if it's like a nice version as well yeah, if it's I've like got, the wooden the wood version edition. or I've got the wood edition of flick em up so yeah or if it's like a collector's edition or yeah. you know like if it's been upgraded or something you'd probably want to keep yeah. hold of it anyway even though you don't really play it, play it that often yeah. it's something that's kind of like a you know, something nice to have. Uh, yeah, so actually, I've got I've got two versions of Katangas. I've got those I mentioned before on the podcast. The uh, oh, yeah. wooden chest 3D upgraded version of Catan and Citizen yeah. Knights. Mm. But then I've just got the ordinary version of Catan and with Citizen Knights just in there mm. um, as well, which is you know, which is quite useful for a holiday mm. um, to play Catan, which I did did um, game before last. Um, so you know, it's quite nice to have both those versions for different. Yeah. So it's nice to play with the, the fancy 3D yeah. one. I, I, I think it's easier to play with the, the non fancy one. Yeah, for me, once um, small person has left and we're going, yeah, we don't need the space or whatever, that's probably when I'll go from I'm a hoarder because there's the chance I can play it to, yeah, we don't need the space. Anything that he wants, he can take. And these haven't been played, we're not going to. And then people, you know, I'll see if eBay still exists then, whether I can flog um, something that's 20, 15, 20 years old and I haven't I've left on my shelf for that long because all, all, all my wishful thinking back in 2022 is, yeah, keep it, I'll play it and go no, why did I say that back then I haven't played it, he didn't like it I should have flogged it oh well yeah. we'll probably, probably be at VR um, selling yeah. it <laughs> VR eBay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some of these games as well can be a, a bit of an investment because uh, we mentioned Shadows of Camelot earlier. That's been long out of print now. And I was looking at eBay on that because I wanted to play it. And it, it, it's going for hundreds of pounds, over £100 if you want oh, a, wow. a good copy, a, a nice copy of that. Yeah, and it just so happened that Tom Cauldron's got a copy and he's got the expansion as well in there. Okay. So I could play that one. And uh, he just brought it down to the club and we played it rather than having to. You know, hunt down a copy. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a, perhaps another consideration. You know, has somebody else got it? Yeah, um, yeah. Which we have to play it a lot. Um, mm. But you also get the re-releases of things. So uh, for years, I wanted. Yeah, I, I was wanted to play um, Battlestar Galactica, and as we mentioned a few mm. times back, you've now got Unfathomable. So whilst you can't buy strictly Battlestar Galactica, other than someone selling it. You can buy the same kind of feel game if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and that's another one that's going for silly money now as well, isn't it? Yeah. The original, especially if we've got any expansions or anything. Yeah. yeah. So but, yeah. And 
Well, I know I've got HeroQuest upstairs, mm. but it is from the 80s, early 90s. Mm. But it's not going to get that much because it's recently been re-released with effectively the same, exactly the same, more or less, um, for 100 quid. Mm. People can yeah. buy a brand new one, so why do they want a decent Nick-ish, but was enjoyed by um, kids in the 90s when they were playing it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So that's uh, that's our collections and how we get rid of the games or not get rid of games in Tom's case. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thank you, thank you both for joining me today. It's been uh, it's been good talking to you both. Yep, thank you. Thanks, Samuel. You thank you, Tom. Uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Uh, we've been Sheffield Board Games Club. Uh, we meet every Tuesday at the University Arms, and on the first Sunday of every month. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on uh, Twitter, we're on Instagram, so come and find us, come and have a look. We've got the forums, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there, and if not, we'll talk to you on the next podcast. So goodbye for now. Bye.